0: the First Incision, a CMF podcast where we explore issues at the interface of faith and medicine. I'm your host, Dr John Greenall. On Saturday, April the 25th, 2020, CMF hosted a national online gathering with a thousand people registered. In the morning talks, Pastor Jonty Alcock of the Globe Church in central London walked us through the book of Habakkuk, looking at the question, How long, O Lord? Finding hope in Christ when the storm clouds gather. Jonty speaks in two short sessions based on Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then chapter 3, followed by a question and answer session hosted by our head of doctors' ministries, Dr Felicia Wong. This is a timely, prophetic word to the church. Over to Jonty.
1: Well, we only have a very brief amount of time, so we're only only going to be able to take a a very quick skim through this book of Habakkuk. But I, I want to show you the structure of this book and how it works and what it teaches us. And in particular, what it teaches us about the nature of faith. Although um, I would like to argue that the last verse is the most important verse. Most people, and I agree with them, say that Habakkuk chapter two, verse four is really the key uh, verse in the book. Habakkuk two, verse four, the end of it says the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or, or by faith. That is the verse that in the New Testament is picked up on several occasions. And that is the verse that takes us to the heart of what this book Habakkuk is about. It's about faith. This is going to be a book that helps us to understand what it means to have faith in God in a chaotic, disturbing and uncertain world. I mean, that was certainly the times that Habakkuk was living in. So he was a prophet to God's people in Judah at the time when the northern kingdom had already been taken into exile and the southern kingdom was full of rebellion against God and it's an uncertain and a scary time and Habakkuk is living there but he's going to show us that faith is something so much more than we often tend to settle for. You see, I think the danger is sometimes we have a pretty sanitized view of faith. I think mean, it may be interesting for you as you react to this as you put comments and questions on slide A for you to think about how do you picture faith what do you think of when you hear the word faith you see I think we often imagine someone who is serene and who has no questions who has no struggles who breezes through life and we often look at people whose children are well behaved and their life seems to be in order and we think I wish I had more faith well Habakkuk is going to show us a very different view Habakkuk's going to show us that faith is raw and it's honest. We're going to be confronted in this first session by a faith that questions, a faith that struggles, a faith that doubts, a faith that complains. And I think that quite, su- quite surprising to us. You see, we often feel like expressing any sense of doubt or any sense of um, struggle is to express a lack of faith. Whereas what we have in Habakkuk is honest faith. And so what Habakkuk does, and this is the big point I want you to take away from this first session. Real faith questions and watches. That's what real faith does. It questions and watches. So let's go through the structure of the book. Let me show you very simply. One of the things I love about Habakkuk is it's an easy book to remember the structure. Because what you have is a question, an answer, a question, an answer, song. That's how it works. Question, answer, question, answer, song. And Habakkuk starts with his first question, which we just read. How long, O Lord? Now, we might at first sight say that doesn't sound like faith. That sounds like someone doubting. But actually, it's not. It's faith. And the reason it's faith is because Habakkuk takes what he's seeing and he goes to God with it. How long, Lord? And he expresses the reality of what he sees around him. And he brings it to God. How long do I have to live in this world? How long do I have to look at this world of violence and struggle and suffering, Lord? How long? And that cry, how long is a cry of faith? It comes up all, all over the place in the Bible. It's, it's a bit like when, when I take my kids on a car journey, and if you've ever been on a car journey with kids, you'll know exactly what I'm going to say. About five minutes into the journey, they suddenly pipe up from the back, Dad, are we there yet? And it's a, it's a deeply frustrating question as, as a parent because it's hard not to get frustrated with, with the kids in the back and going, no, we're not there yet. We're still traveling at 70 miles an hour along the motorway. You'll know when we get there because we'll stop and I'll say, we're here. But the question, are we there yet? Or how long have we got to be in this car? Is a question that expresses, I'm in a place that I don't want to be. And I want to be in a place that's better. I want to arrive at the place we're heading to. How long? Now, in a child, in the car journey, it's a deeply irritating question. But in a Christian, it is a beautiful thing. When a Christian learns to cry, how long, Lord? There's real beauty there. Now, the reason I say it's beautiful is because if you think of how often we respond when we look at a confusing and chaotic and uncertain world, often rather than respond with faith and the question, how long, how long, how long? I think the danger can be that we ignore what's going on and bury our heads in the sand like ostriches. Or we despair at what's going on and become cynical like eel. And we just grump and we say, oh, everything's gone wrong, everything's miserable. Or we start to accuse God and we say to God, how dare you let this happen? What are you doing? Why aren't you sorting everything? You're so rubbish. And we don't listen to him, we just accuse him. Or we try to fix it ourselves. And and when we see the, the world around us, we say, I've got to fix it. I've got to do something. I've got to be an activist. I've got to sort all the problems. But faith doesn't ignore wrong. It doesn't. Despair doesn't accuse and it doesn't fix. Instead, faith cries out to God, How long? How long, Lord? That's why it's a cry of faith. So here is Habakkuk saying, How long? Why aren't you doing anything? That's the first question. But now look at God's answer in verse five. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something. Yes, God is going to do something. That's good. What are you going to do, God? Verse six, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now, that's not quite what Habakkuk was looking for. You see, I'm raising up a mighty king. I'm raising up a hero. I'm raising up a savior. No, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians were a ruthless superpower of the day. And God says, I am going to deal with the wickedness in my people by sending the Babylonians. Now, for Habakkuk, that isn't a great solution, because that's not making things easier. That's not making things better. In fact, to Habakkuk, it looks like it's just getting worse. If his first question was, why aren't you doing anything? His second question is, why are you doing that? And so his second question from verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, Will you you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Do you hear him? He says, God, I know who you are. I know what you're like. So why are you doing that? And here is faith again in action. Faith that is honestly pouring out his heart to God and saying, why that? You see, often we assume that God's job is to make our lives better. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And that place there is better than here. And by better, we mean easier. We want God to make our lives easier. So if if I'm uh, if you say to me one day, I know a better way to peel an orange. What what I assume you mean is that, you know, an easier way. If I try your way and it's harder than my way and I get covered in orange juice, I'm going to say, that's not better. And so it is with God. God says, I'm going to do something. We say, great, it's going to be better. And Habakkuk says, that's not better. That looks worse. So he's wrestling and he's struggling, but he's still going to God. He's not ignoring God. He's not despairing. He's not accusing God. He's not trying to fix it himself. And then you get the key picture of what faith looks like for chapter two, verse one. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Habakkuk says with all of my questions, I'm going to question and then I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna complain, then I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna struggle, and I'm gonna hear. That's what faith does. It questions and watches. And you get this amazing picture of Habakkuk saying, okay, God, I'm listening, tell me. And in the rest of chapter two, God spells out what he's going to do. God spells out his great vision a vision that will punish all that is wrong. There are five woes spelled out in Habakkuk chapter two. The enemies will be punished. Those who have plundered others will be plundered. Those who feathered their own nests will be caught. Those who've built their own empires will be turned to rubble. Those who've delighted in shame will be ashamed. And those who've made idols will be silenced. God is going to deal with what is wrong. And then in verse 14, you get this amazing vision. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, you want to know my big solution? You want to know where things are heading? It's heading to the day when the glory of God will fill this earth. When all that is wrong will be made right. Now, that is why faith really matters in this world today. That is why we need to be people who learn to live by faith. You see, God is at work in our world today. God is doing things in our world today, things that we would not even believe, things that we might not even like. But God is at work. And we can trust him because he has supremely worked through his son, Jesus. At the cross, Jesus gave his son. God gave his son to die for us so that those who are his enemies could become his friends. We can trust him. And as we trust him, we discover the reality of faith. So I wonder whether you were more of someone who would ignore stuff or despair at stuff or accuse God or try and fix it yourself. Well, maybe today God is saying to you, learn to trust me. Bring your questions and your doubts and your fears to me. So let me finish with this and I'd love you to talk about this in your breakout groups. Doubt and struggle and fear are not a problem. They're not wrong. It is what you do with your doubts and fears and struggles that really matters. Habakkuk is a model for us of someone who shows us what to do when we're struggling. He shows us not what to do, but where to go when we're struggling. He shows us that there is a God in heaven who is in control, a God in heaven who is full of love and grace grace and kindness, a God in heaven who one day will fill this earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. So take your doubts to him. Take your questions to him. As you watch the news, cry out, "How long?" Stuart Townend wrote a beautiful song, and uh, the last verse of it says this: "I know a day is coming, when the deaf, when the blind—sorry—I know a day is coming when the bl- deaf will hear his voice, when the blind will see their saviour, and the lame will leap for joy." When the widow finds a husband who will always love his bride and the orphan finds a father who will never leave her side. How long till your glory fills the skies? That's the cry. How long, Lord? How long? So I want to encourage you to embrace that prayer of Habakkuk and express faith in this chaotic and disturbing world. Well, we're going to have a think about Habakkuk chapter three together. Um, Hopefully you'll remember the structure of Habakkuk, question, answer, question, answer, song. Um, And we were thinking in the first session about this honest, raw faith of Habakkuk that as he saw the confusing and disturbing world around him, it drove him to God to cry out to God, how long? And God answered and God said, I am doing something. And what happens in chapter three is that Habakkuk begins to sing. And I'm going to suggest um, in this session that we need to understand the significance and the importance of singing, that faith sings. And I don't don't just mean the the physical act of singing. I, I mean that our lives would be caught up as a song to God, that we would understand the significance of what it means to sing to God. You see, that's what's going on in chapter three of Habakkuk. And you'll see that his focus has completely shifted. His focus has shifted away from the circumstances and the the, the enemies that he sees all around him and the violence and the wickedness that he sees. And his focus is now entirely upon God. He speaks of God. And he speaks of God with such a weight and an awe. So listen to verse two again. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. This is no safe little God. This is no small little God that we deal with. This is the one who is awesome. And we need to learn to sing of this God. We need to learn to see him more clearly. That is faith. Faith is to see him as he truly is. And yes, to stand in awe of him. I remember um, I have three little boys. I remember taking my youngest to uh, Thomas the Tank Engine exhibition and he was a big fan at the time and they had, uh, the Fat Controller was there um, who's not allowed to be called the Fat Controller anymore. I think he's called something else. But anyway, um, I mean, this guy really was a very big man with a very big top hat. And uh, I remember my little boy, he must have been two or three years old, standing and looking up at the Fat Controller and being completely overwhelmed and he looked so small and he looked so in awe of the greatness of this Fat Controller and I remember just standing there thinking that's like a tiny little picture of where we should be when we come to God that we would stand in awe of him and so Habakkuk begins to sing of things in the past and it is an song that is full of awe. That's the first thing I want you to see. This is a song that's full of awe. So he recounts some of the things from the past that God has done. Echoes of all sorts of different actions from God of rescuing his people out of slavery, but he uses such big language. This isn't just a, oh yes, and one day you rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. He talks about the glory covering the heavens and the sunrise and power and the nations trembling and the ancient mountains crumbling. Do you not, do you see the language? So the mountains, there's something cosmic going on. Then in verses eight to 10, he talks about the waters and the seas. This is the one who is victorious and powerful even over the waters. Sort of reminds me of another person who stood victorious over water who stood up at the front of a boat in the face of a raging torrent and said quiet be still yes this god that we read of in chapter 3 is the god who's come in person in jesus so he's the one who is over the mountains he's over the seas and then in verses 11 following he's over the sun and the moon you see the bigness of who this god is not dealing with something small this is the god the creator god the all-powerful sovereign god the one who if we could see we would fall down before him but the one verse 16 says that habakkuk hears and his heart pounds and his lips quiver i find that really challenging when was the last time your heart pounded at the thought of god's glory When was the last time your lips quivered as you thought of God in all his power? We have far too small a view of God. But Habakkuk, as he learns to live by faith, as he learns to sing, he lifts his eyes to see the greatness of God. Do you know, we need to sing of this God. We need to sing songs that declare his glory. And the reason we need to sing is because we live in a world that is full of lullabies, full of songs all around us, songs that are going on all the time that are telling us things that aren't true. Right. Lullabies. Do you you know how lullabies work? Of course you do. I used to think lullabies were a nice, quiet, calm, gentle thing. And then I had a child and then I discovered that a lullaby is actually uh, a pretty aggressive weapon in the parent's armory so you 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 take your baby who won't go to sleep and you sing the lullaby "Rockabye, by baby on the treetop. when the wind blows the cradle will rock when the bow breaks the cradle will fall and down will come baby cradle and all and you sing this lullaby and the words are horrific i mean the words are horrible what a horrible thing to sing to a baby about the cradle coming crashing down but you sing this song this lullaby and if the baby isn't asleep at the end of the song what do you do you sing it again you squeeze a little tighter and you sing a little louder and you sing because the lullaby has to win the lullaby keeps singing until the baby falls asleep now the words are horrible but that's not the point the lullaby lulls i actually wrote a second verse to that lullaby um It it turns out it's not difficult to write lullabies. It, It follows on directly from the cradle crashing down. Poor little baby lying in the mud, crushed by a branch and covered in blood. The bump on your head is starting to swell. Night, night, my darling, I hope you sleep well. You see, lullabies, right? They're horrible, but they have to win and we live in a world where we're surrounded by lullabies all the time that are being sung to us that are saying there is no god what is the point just live your life for now so you know the lullaby of the atheist i am so clever i have a big brain we do not need god i can explain we came from monkeys they came from slime stop worrying about god and have a good time right there's this lullabies that constantly are telling us these things that are not true about our world And that is why we need to be learned to be people who sing. We need to learn to be people who sing of the truth of who God is, who sing of his awesome majesty, who sing of the one who who rules over the mountains, over the oceans, over the sun and moon themselves, the one who rescues his people. Yes, the one who even defeated death itself through Jesus at the cross. We need to sing of this one. And as we... Finish, I want you to notice where Habakkuk lands. You see, as he sings of this great God, verse 17 says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. I want you to notice this very clearly. Faith sings songs that are full of awe, and faith sings with defiant joy. Habakkuk says, despite all of the circumstances that are going on around me, yet I will rejoice. Do you hear his defiance? Habakkuk does not settle for a joyless Christianity. He does not settle for a joyless existence. Instead, he says, I will rejoice. Despite everything, I will rejoice. His circumstances haven't changed. What has changed is that he's seen the greatness of God. He's heard the promises of God. And so he will rejoice. I think this idea of defiant joy is a powerful idea for us to embrace as God's people. All too often we can abandon joy, we can sort of go, oh, well, I don't feel any joy today, never mind. But as soon as you abandon joy, you make yourself liable to all the lullabies of the world that will relentlessly sing to you. No, no, we, we need to pursue joy. We must not settle for a joyless Christianity. So here's here's a, a suggestion for you. Next time you don't feel joyful. I know that we're not doing much standing in church and singing at the moment, but we've all had that experience, right? You stand in church, the music starts, you don't want to sing. I can't be bothered to sing today. I don't feel anything. I don't feel excited about God. I'll just stand here and mouth the words until it's all over and then I'll sit down can I say that? Don't settle for that. (laughs) Instead, tackle it. And, and, And tackle it like this. Firstly, confess it. Father, I don't feel any joy today. In fact, I feel really miserable. I don't want to praise you. Confess it. Then say sorry. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't feel joyful. You are the great, glorious, magnificent God who sent your son to die on a cross to save me. I'm sorry I don't feel joy. Then ask the Spirit to help you. Holy Spirit, please would you give me joy? Please would you help me to rejoice despite my circumstances? And then you open your mouth and you start to sing. You sing. You sing louder. You sing more defiantly. Not because you feel joyful, but because you choose to rejoice because of who God is. That's faith. So faith will defiantly rejoice in God. Even in the face of the hardest of circumstances. That's what you see in the pages of the Bible. So I want to encourage us as we live through these days and as we take these lessons of Habakkuk. Faith, yes, it questions, it struggles, it wrestles, but it brings those questions to God. And then faith, as we see God for who he is, faith defiantly rejoices in him. Faith defiantly sings of the greatness of God. And we've got so much to sing about. We've got a God to sing about who sent his son who sent his son to trample death and defeat death forever for us. So I want to encourage you today, rejoice, defiantly rejoice and celebrate our God who is awesome. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the awesome God. You're not some small little God. And Father, we're so sorry when we Listen to the lullabies of the world. We're so sorry when we lose sight of who you are. We're so sorry when our hearts are not joyful. Lord, we ask that you would please fill us with joy. Holy Spirit, would you give us joy, even in the face of the hardest situations. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Um, I'd like to welcome you all back to the Q&A session that we're going to have. This is a chance for us to interact with Jonti about the things that we've heard. Um, and I've received lots of questions from you on Slido, uh, which I'm looking on my phone at the moment. So do please continue to send in your questions because because there's so many of us, we can't ask directly. But I'm going to be your voice and ask Jonti for you. And a lot of them, of course, have similar themes. Um, so we're going to spend this time uh John, i'm going to uh, i think you can see the slido um, questions as well all very interesting similar themes of course because there's a lot of things that we're worried about so one person says is it really okay to complain to god won't he be angry and someone says how do we separate complaining from you know pouring out our heart to god
1: yeah that's brilliant and i think that's um th- th- this is um huge important for us to get the Clear the difference between these different these things. So that the, the danger is um, that as soon as we have any doubt or any struggle, we immediately say, ah oh, I'm not a Christian, this is wrong, this isn't right. Actually, um, what you discover in the Bible through examples like Habakkuk, I, I also think you see it in people like Gideon. I'll, I'll come back to him in a second. Um, you see people who are wrestling to trust God, they are taking their doubts and their struggles and their fears, and then being driven to God. So I want you to picture it like this. Um, imagine a crossroads. Every doubt that you have, every struggle that you have, brings you to a crossroads where you have a choice. You either choose to run to God with that, or you choose to run from Him. Now, that, that point there, At the crossroads is where the choice is faith or unbelief. But doubt brings you to the crossroads in the same way that temptation. So when we're tempted, it brings us to a crossroads where we have a choice between saying, Am I going to run to God for help and power and strength? Or am I going to run from Him? So there is absolutely um, a wrong way to complain um, and to Uh, bring our these struggles to god that is if we come to god like i talked about this this sort of accusing voice that how dare you do this to me why should you do this i deserve better that is a very different heart to the heart that comes saying lord i I don't understand please help me so really it comes to down to an issue of of the heart an issue of humility Um, so there is a humble complaint and, and I think really it's a slightly unfortunate word the word complaint in in the the Bible headings in Habakkuk because in, in our context it does have the very negative moany self-pitying sort of tone to it I think it's more appropriate to think of it in terms of a like in a illegal sense the complaint this is this is the struggle this is the issue that I'm having um, okay. so I think we we, we are very careful about self-pity and we avoid um, turning in on ourselves. But as we turn towards God, um, those doubts can help us to trust him more. Right. So Actually, every doubt that you have is an opportunity for you to, for a deeper experience of God's truth and reality, a deeper experience of faith. I, th- I think that's a very exciting way to think about doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doubting again. Okay, I'm at the crossroads. It's a choice. I've got the choice to now trust him and run to him, mm. um, and, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Unbelief is where we sin. Unbelief is where we get to the crossroads and turn that way, and, and that's the distinction I draw. So, I just I, I said I'd mention Gideon. Um, if you are familiar with the story of Gideon, he was a fairly weak, weak little guy. Bless him. Um, he's also one of my heroes in the Bible. Um, and God tells him, you're going to go and defeat this big army. Um, and Gideon says, I, I, I really can't do that. Um, and then G- God does this. Uh, Gideon does this thing with the fleece, right? Where he puts out the fleece. And he says, if you will uh, really defeat the Midianites at my hands, then make the fleece wet in the ground, you know, all that stuff.
0: Mm.
1: And it's interesting to question if. He says, if you will really do this. That's that's the doubt, right? That's the that's the doubt monster coming in, if you will, if, if, if. And that's the ifs that so often come into our hearts. But the beautiful thing about Gideon is that he runs to God with those ifs. It's as if God doesn't get angry at him and say, oh, come on, Gideon, don't be so wet. Get, sort yourself out. You know, just believe. No, God strengthens his faith. And one of the beautiful things about our father is that when he sees us struggling to believe, he loves to strengthen our faith. If you want another example, it's the man, I think it's in Mark 9, with a little boy. um, And the, the man says, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if anything is possible for him who believes. And the man says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I find myself praying that loads you know, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I want to run to you. How long, Lord, how long, how long running to him? I think that makes some sense. So yes, there's very much a sinful way we can do this.
2: Yeah. I think, um, no, thank, thank you, actually. I think that really speaks to many of our hearts because sometimes we feel like we can't cry out to God, but actually he's our Heavenly Father, he wants us to, and like you say, even in the Old Testament, but also in the New, there is this crying out in faith and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but actually, like you said, not to the unbelief of, of sin, but it's what's in our hearts. It's our saying, we really are struggling, please help us. Um, thank you, and I think kind of along the there's a, a few questions along that theme of sort of faith versus fear. So kind of what you said, but also people are saying, well, so many times we're, to, you know, we're told not to fear, and um, how do we respond in fear um, rather than faith? Is it you know is it sinful? Is it real unbelief if we are fearing? What would you say to that?
1: Um. I think when when you feel afraid so yes one of the repeated commands in the bible is don't be afraid um and it is slightly it in some ways it's one of those commands that you listen to and you say well, how, how can i do that i feel afraid how can i not be afraid what am i supposed to do just be brave and go okay fine let's be brave no the bible never calling on us to be to be brave yeah. it's calling on us to do something different so, yeah. so I put it like this i don't know if you remember um i don't know when the last time was you went on a seesaw um sorry we're talking
2: a long time now
1: yeah, <laughs> you, you know how the, the seesaw in the kids playgrounds work and um it, it works fine if you've got two people who are about the same weight on either end and, and you can have a happy little time but of course the, the most fun thing is if you're quite a heavy dad and you sit on one end and you've got your little kid with his legs dangling in the air at the other end can't do anything absolutely powerless you see what what i want you to think about in terms of fear is that often we feel like the little kid with our legs dangling in the air completely powerless because there's this heavy thing on the other end of the seesaw which is way too heavy for us and we don't have the resources to cope with it and in that in that moment fear uh, and and not being afraid doesn't mean kind of closing our eyes or pretending. Fear means saying, God is heavier than anything that I face. So what my my little kid who's got his legs dangling in the air, what he needs is someone heavier than me to come up behind him and pull him down. Yes. So I've got you. Yes. And, and And the key to not being afraid is running to God with those fears and saying, Lord, help me to see how big you are. Mm. Help me to see how great you are. Mm. You see, too often we keep our eyes on the thing that we're afraid of and we try desperately hard to not to be afraid of it. We try and fix it or ignore it or bury it. Actually, what we need to do is look beyond the thing to God who's bigger, um, which is exactly what sh- people like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did. They're facing Nebuchadnezzar. They're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks big and heavy and they're on the seesaw and their little legs are waving around and they can't do anything. But they can see how heavy God is. They can see how big God is. And so they look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, we will not bow down to your statue because our God is able to save us. And even if he doesn't, I love that, even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Because their confidence is in the bigness of God. And, And so... When we feel afraid, I think you do exactly exactly the same as what I said about rejoicing. You come to God and you say, you're honest, God, I'm, I'm terrified. I feel afraid. And then you say, I'm sorry that I feel afraid because I know that you're bigger. And you say, Holy Spirit, please would you help me not to be afraid? Yeah. yeah. And then you begin to act in line with, with that reality.
2: Right. Thank you, John T. Thank you. Really good reminder of the perspective. Our God is so big. Um, now, I'm aware we've got so many great questions. So okay, I'll, I'll try move to be quick. Move us on, I, I want people to come. There's a lot um, about sort of what's happening now. How is God using um, COVID-19 in this? So, for instance, someone encapsulates what a lot of people want to ask. In Habakkuk's time, God used the exile and Babylonians to refine his people. In what ways do you think COVID-19 is refining the church? So a lot of things about is this God's judgment? Should we be thinking about it in the way that God used the Babylonians and the exile to be refining His people then?
1: Um, yeah, really, really helpful. And um, I, I want to say two things. One is I want to be very clear that to draw this, to draw very tight lines between something bad that's happening and a specific judgment on a specific thing. I am very nervous of doing that. Um, I think there are places in the old Testament where you can do that because they are given prophetic insights. So to say is COVID-19 a specific judgment for a specific sin, I would say no, or I would be nervous to make that link. However, I would also say that to act as if, COVID-19 is just something that happens to have happened would be to completely misunderstand the nature of God. God is at work all the time in this world. He is doing things. He is seeking to expose and to wake us up. Um, And and that's where I think we've got to learn the lessons of what we're being shown. Mm. Um, And in particular, I think we're being exposed that we don't know everything that we think we know and we don't have all the resources that we think we have. Mm. And and I think this current crisis is exposing humanity and mm. exposing our folly and our our the, the seriousness of what we've done in turning from God.
0: Yes. Um, mm.
1: and, and so absolutely, I think it is a warning from God. I think it is a partial judgment from God on our world to mm. wake us up and to say, turn back to your creator, the one who loves you, the one who gave his son for you, turn back to him. Yes. So, so a specific judgment on a specific sin no a judgment from god on a wicked world in order that we might return absolutely and let's hear the warning and respond to him
2: thank you john t thank you yeah i I've, I've definitely personally been by, very struck by that challenge by us as the church as christians to say how are we do we are there things we need to repent of and draw yes. close to god but also to a watching world without hope, how are we holding out the hope of God to them? Yeah, absolutely, thank you so much for that. Um, I've got some on the themes of, um, for people who either despair or feel anxious or actually have clinical um, depression, or personalities where it's difficult to rejoice in the middle of calamity, what would you say to them as Christians?
1: Yeah, um, I, I wanna be very careful that we don't confuse joy with a personality type. Um, that is that, you know, when you hear, oh, they're a joyful person, we tend to have a specific type of person in mind. Mm. Some of the most joyful people I've ever known have been people who are deeply, deeply struggling with uh, mental illness and depression. I mean, I remember going to visit an old lady um, in the grip of um, depression and darkness. And a sparkle in her eyes when she said to me, but I know, I know that God loves me. I know that he's for me. And so joy is not a superficial happiness. Um, In fact, (laughs) joy, joy is a choice in the Bible, a decision of the will to rejoice. That's what I think you find. That's what I mean by defiant joy. And it's a, decision of the will that God enables us to make. Um, so for someone who is struggling, um, and feels a lack of joy, I think it is to ask God to yeah. simply say to him, God, please, would you give me joy?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: one of the fruit of the spirit is joy. Mm. And, and therefore it's right to ask God for joy. Mm. Um, joy not that takes all the circumstances away but the joy even in the midst of those circumstances Um, now on a forum and a conference like this there is a whole heap of wisdom um around mental illness and clinical depression that i am not qualified to speak on but i would say that there is a go go get them go get medical help where that is necessary and also pursue this sort of joy and do those things together um, as you as you seek Thank to you. find joy.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Jonti. I think we've got time for one or two um, questions. Um, and uh, there's one that's come to the top very much that I feel I must ask because obviously lots of people are thumbs-upping it. Um, and one of the questions is, what do you think are the most powerful lullabies that this world is singing to us today? Um, in brackets you're welcome to sing them but feel free to just tell us too. so what are the lullabies world well to sing to us and what we should be what should we be listening to instead and feel free to sing Jonty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah interesting as so I, I studied chemistry at university um, and was taught by a, a real militant atheist um, who hated the fact I was a Christian and used to give me a hard time for it all the time um, and, and it does seem to me that our world has shifted on from militant atheism we have I think we've seen through the kind of, there is no God um angry sort of thing. But I think the lullabies that we're hearing now are really around um freedom and around the, the, be whatever you want to be. Uh, you can do anything. You can achieve anything. You can fulfill your dreams. I think that's the, that's the stuff that our world is hearing all the time. Um, and, and so that that would be one I think um, I also think it's interesting, even and you may well have noticed this, but even in the way that science is being recast um, mm-hmm. it, that lots of languages now using religious language, if you listen to Brian Cox, um, you should watch some Brian Cox stuff um, listen to the way he talks about science it's very different to the atheists of twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. he's an atheist um, but he he uses religious language. He talks about awe and wonder and majesty. These are words that 20 years ago, the atheists weren't using. Um, and, and he, he says, if you want to know where you find meaning and then he looks into the camera and he looks right at you
0: mm-hmm.
2: and there's
1: kind of a sunset behind him. And he says, you were formed in the heart of a star. You're made of stardust. Wow. You see, isn't that, that's compelling. And we go, oh, mm-hmm. yes, That's who I am. Now, the weird thing is that 20 years ago, my chemistry professor said the human race must realise how insignificant it is with just a bit of slime on a planet belonging to one sun. Now, that doesn't sound very attractive, but essentially they're saying the same thing. It's just that one has called it slime and one has called it stardust. And that's clever because we now go, oh, yes, I like that. Mm. And so we, we, we need to recapture that sense of worship. People people are longing to worship something. They're longing for something bigger than ourselves. Um, I think there's much more of a spiritual hunger uh, yeah. than there used to be.
2: Yes. Anyway, so
1: yes. I'd say certainly the freedom, pursue whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do. That would be the biggest one, I think.
2: Yeah, thank you. That, that's really useful to, to know and to be aware of as well so we can be praying about that and listening to the right lullabies. Sadly, our time's come to an end, John. It's been, I mean, you know, the question...
0: Wasn't that amazing? Defiant joy, practising the discipline of gratitude. What a message to the church. Let's reflect on what God is speaking to his church. CMF is releasing conference highlights across our social media channels, so look out for those and experience the whole day we had together. Check out our voices from the front line and subscribe to this podcast, The First Incision, for more of those. And then check out our keynote talk by Dr. Patrick Dixon, also available on this podcast. CMF exists, unite and equip Christian doctors and nurses to live and speak for Jesus Christ. God bless you.